When I first became aware of the presence of Jesus in my life, my living situation created a bit of tension. I was a sophomore in college at the University of Washington, and I was living in a fraternity. I'd been living in the fraternity for about a year and a half since my first quarter at the U, and I loved it. However, as some of you may know, not all of the behaviors and actions that are associated with fraternity life are necessarily completely aligned with all of the behaviors and actions associated with the Christian life. And so I found myself at times wondering which activities I should participate in or should not. Realistically, this is a struggle that most people of religious faiths of all sorts have constantly dealt with and that we face even today. How do we live in the world and remain faithful to our God and our beliefs? How do we live fully committed to following Christ, living amidst other amidst other human beings who are not. Unfortunately, my early guidance in this struggle took the way charted by the more fearful and severe movement of the white Christian church in the United States. The more conservative movement of the, the white church in the U.S. has generally taken the path of avoiding refraining from, even condemning anything that is judged as detracting from full commitment to Jesus Christ. For me, I awoke, in the present, I awoke to the presence of Christ in my life in the early 80s. This was the time of the church's culture wars with the world, where pretty much all music and movies created by anyone other than Amy Grant or Kirk Cameron were considered sinful. And it was also the beginning of the purity culture movement that ended up being so fixated on battling against sexual temptation that unless your first kiss was at your wedding, you had failed. The truth is, there is biblical precedence for avoiding certain things or certain actions as a way of holiness. However, there is also as much, if not more, biblical precedence for positive embrace of the world and action as a way of holiness. Both avoidance and action are ways of holiness. And yet, when we remember the starting place, the starting point of holiness, as this morning's text reminds us, I believe that we will see being holy moves us toward more positive action than passive avoidance. In this morning's text, we are immediately presented 
with our starting point for holiness. In verse 1, very beginning, you are the children of the Lord your God. As happens over and over and over again in the scriptures, God declares a set truth, a foundational identity of who we are before ever moving into how then should we live. First, we hear, you are the children of the Lord your God. In verse 2, adds, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Both of these declarations are even more emphatic in the original Greek, excuse me, the original Hebrew. It's the First Testament. In the original word order in the Hebrew, the identification comes right at the beginning, right at the first. Children of the Lord you are. A holy people you are. It's a little like Yoda. Children of the Lord you are. But that emphasis on identity is right at the beginning. This is absolutely essential to our understanding holiness as it relates to human beings. Our holiness has little to do with our actions or avoidance of actions. Moses elaborates in verse 2, after holy people you are, out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, Moses declares, the Lord has chosen you to be God's treasured possession. Out of all that could have been chosen, you were chosen to be God's treasured possession. Even after all that list of do's and don'ts of animals that are clean and unclean that I read earlier, even after all of that, notice that again, Moses comes back to, in verse 21, our identification as God's people, as the, the, the framework for all of this, because it begins and ends. Verse 21, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Walter Brueggemann, the former professor at Columbia Seminary in uh, Georgia, writes, He captures the essential point in all of this. All three statements are unqualified indicatives, declarations. Israel's status as offspring, as holy people, as treasured possession, is not an outcome of obedience, but a premise for obedience. A premise, premise established by Yahweh's, by God's inexplicable initiative of relationship. The starting point for our holiness, therefore, is not whether we have acted holy or avoided unholiness. God's positive act of initiating a reconciled relationship with us makes us holy. Our positive action or passive avoidance is all in response to God's initial act of grace. With that 
foundational identification established, Moses then goes on to give guidance on ways to essentially maintain that relationship that makes us holy, established by God. Certainly, there are things to avoid, like uh, I, I mentioned that in sort of uh, major categories, uh, we hear, don't cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead. Verse 3, don't eat any detestable thing, and then specifics are given, and then it ends with this odd little bit, uh, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Certainly, there are things to avoid. But even though there are these lists of things to avoid, the emphasis is as much, if not more, on what is, and this is a horrible pun, it's a dad joke, what is fair game? Verses 4 through 8, we hear, do not anything, eat anything detestable, but these are the animals that you may eat. And it goes on, the ox, the sheep, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, all sorts of different things. You may eat any animal that has a split hoof and chews the cud. Verse 9, of all creatures living in the water, you may eat any that has fins and scales. Verse 11, you may eat any clean bird. Verses 19 and 20, all flying insects that swarm are unclean, but... Any winged creature that is clean, you may eat. Here's an important side note in all of this. There is no one singular def definitive and unifying theory for what made something clean or unclean. No one knows why the different animals are categorized the way they are. Honestly, there are a bunch of theories. The major ones are that had something to do with hygiene and hygienic issues, or there were issues related to what foods pagan religions used in their religious practices. That's why that weird bit about don't cut yourself or shave your forehead uh, was added in there. We know that that was related to some things that the, the pagans did in worshiping the dead. Um, there's also, <laughs> there's also some idea that it was kind of a, a, a parental thing just because I said so, that, that God just put some things on the list just to see if we would obey or not. There's all kinds of theories, but there's no one theory <clears throat> that explains all of the items. So there's no one theory that's translatable to our situation today in terms of food and cleanliness and those kinds of things. So for us this morning, I think the most important thing to note is that the lists included prohibitions, things to avoid, but it also included permissions, things that were encouraged to actively enjoy. So much of the problem with lists is that of, of what's holy or unholy or clean or unclean. So much of the problem of lists is that we lose the spirit underlying it all. Again, what makes us holy <clears throat> is not what we do or do not do. What makes us holy is God's initiating relationship. Then the next step is how we respond to God 
in our hearts and from our hearts? Are we understanding the gracious gift of identification as God's family that we are given? Are we living out of gratitude? Or are we trying to make ourselves holy or set ourselves apart from sinners? This issue of our heart in relationship with God is what Jesus tried to communicate with us as well and with all of his disciples. Again, Jesus called the crowd together. It's not what you swallow that pollutes you, that makes you unclean or unholy. <clears throat> it's what you vomit. It's what comes out of you. And I love this. The disciples are, excuse me, what do you mean by this? And Jesus, not always so kind and gentle with the disciples. Are you being willfully stupid? Don't you see that what you swallow can't contaminate you? It doesn't, part of the reason I like the message is because of this part. It doesn't enter your heart, but your stomach works its way through the intestines and is finally flushed. It's literally, it's finally pooped out is the way the Greek is. And that took care of all these issues about what's okay to eat and what's not okay to eat. He went on. It's what comes out of a person from their heart. Notice that's the way he ends. All these bad things that he mentions, slander, arrogance, foolishness, are vomit from the heart. Our holiness comes from the loving relationship that God has established in grace. Then whether we respond in gratitude or not. When we believe that we are responsible for our holiness based on our actions, it most often leads to fear, to avoidance, and even condemnation. I've seen this over and over again. People tend to live more and more defensively and what we avoid and condemn becomes just as much a matter of what is unfamiliar as anything else. Again, I witnessed this in my early years of Christianity with music, particularly because music was so important to me. Mild, sugary, white, pop-style music like Amy Grant was okay. You could listen to that and still be a Christian. Of course, until she had an affair with Vince Gill and left her first husband. Um, but before that, she was okay. But early hip-hop and rap was considered satanic, literally. People consider it satanic, at least by some in the white evangelical church. Until, until the band DC Talk came along. You could listen to them, and they had influences of rap and hip-hop. You could listen to them and still be a Christian. And you know the reason why DC Talk was allowable? This isn't official doctrine. It wasn't written anywhere, but it was pretty easy to figure out. Two reasons. One, two out of the three were white. And the other was that all three were students at Liberty University when they formed as a band. The history of the Christian church has shown that when we live believing that we are primarily, we primarily are responsible 
for our being holy. We live fearfully, and we actually lose touch with God. We become more restrictive. We become more suspicious. We become cruel and oppressive. And that is not what God wants from the church. We hear from Peter what God wants. Roll up your sleeves, put your mind in gear, be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. I love, uh, as obedient children, again, out of that designation, out of that, that designation, out of that identification that God establishes as the children of God, as God's obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life a life energetic and blazing with holiness, energetic and blazing with holiness. The holiness that God desires embraces all that is beautiful and true and just in all of creation because it's God's. The holiness that God desires not only embraces, but actually actively works to promote, enhance, and celebrate all that is beautiful and true and just in the world. It is because of this understanding of holiness that I believe that we are being called by God in this moment particularly to work for justice in our land for black, indigenous, Latinx, and Asian people. This week I came across these words uh, that I'm about to read from the Reverend Dr. Kelly Brown Davis. She is the Dean of the Episcopal Divinity School at Union Theological Seminary. It's from an article in Sojourners Magazine about reparations uh, for black people. And she writes, for faith communities, it must be more than compensatory reparations in the attempt to repair the harm that has been done. For inasmuch as faith is about partnering with God to mend an unjust earth, and thus to move us toward a more just future, then faith communities, by definition, are accountable to the future. This means that for them, for us, as a faith community, reparations should be directed toward building a future where all human beings are respected as the sacred creations that they are, and thereby free to live into the fullness of their sacred creation. For faith communities, reparations must not be only an effort to compensate for past harms. They must also chart a pathway to a just future. I read that and I thought, that's what holiness is about. Holiness has so little to do with whether or not we drink alcohol or listen to death metal. Holiness is so much more about whether or not we are actively working, as she writes, toward building a future where all human beings are respected as the sacred creations that they are and thereby free to live into the fullness of their sacred creation. Holiness is energetic and blazing in the ways of God. The starting point for our holiness lies in the identity God has graciously given us 
in Jesus Christ. We are God's children. We are a people holy to the Lord our God. We are God's treasured possession. The starting point for our holiness is God's gracious choosing of us in love. In gratitude, we work to promote, enhance, and celebrate all that is beautiful, true, and just. That is holiness. Thanks be to God.